This evening's scripture is Jonah chapter 4, verses 6 through 11. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head and save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you be well? Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, as well as much cattle? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good evening. A couple of housekeeping notes before I get started. Uh, my name is Josh. I am not Jason. Any confusion? Good. My name is Josh. I am the executive director uh, at Grace Community Church. And actually, I think I can start saying executive pastor now, or maybe after. Do I have to wait till after? I have to wait till after. No? Okay. Um, we'll talk about that later. Uh, no, two, two things. First, uh, there will be no slides. We're going to try something new. It's called following along. So do your best without the visual cues. Second, uh, sometimes when you preach, you'll find that you're given uh, a text that there is, there's just so much you don't know where to stop. And you just have to keep going and keep going and keep going. And sometimes you're given a text like tonight where you don't know how you're ever going to leave one verse. So I am not going to spend a lot of time on all of the verses in this section uh, I'm going to spend a lot of time on verses 4-4, uh, four, four, which Andrew did not read, and 4-9. Um, and so if you want to know about the significance of the plant, go listen to Brooks's sermon from this morning. You can do that. He'll tell you about more stuff than I tell you about. But that's all right. Uh, this is a different word about the same passage. We are going to look at um, Jonah 4. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to be there. And uh, we are going to look at verses, uh, actually 310 through the end of the chapter. There's not a whole lot um, for, for context we need that, but like I said, we'll focus on 4.4 and 4.9. Over the last couple of weeks, if you've been here, the talk, uh, the discussion about Jonah has, has been a lot about obedience, about trials, about grace, about what it looks like um, when we love one thing more than we should and when that thing is not God. Uh, we've talked about when we love our country more than we love our God, for example, and how that could be an idol. We've also seen uh, various lessons about faithfulness, persistence, attitude, so many things. And yet when we compare this book, right, we see that there are these lessons here, and yet when we compare Jonah to other stories of the prophets, it's strange, right? It's an odd story about a prophet. Jonah is a single narrative. This is really the only mention. We get one other mention of Jonah in Scripture in the Old Testament, um, but this is our only real insight into Jonah. It's this short story, 
And Jonah spends almost all of his time running from God, telling God, no, you're wrong. I don't like what you have to say. He doesn't prophesy to the Israelites, which most prophets do in the Old Testament. His prophecy isn't even one that we could say, oh, I think this might be for us in the future. Not exactly. And so it's a strange story. Why is Jonah here? Why is this whiny, angry jerk representing the God of the universe? Why? I believe that the reason God gives us the story of Jonah, at least in part, can be found in those two verses I mentioned, verses 4, 4, and 4, 9, where God asks this question of Jonah. He says, do you do well to be angry? If you believe that God never does anything by accident, you know that when God does something twice, it's especially significant, right? God plans everything, and if he does something twice, we should really focus in on that, pay attention. He asked this question twice of Jonah, do you do well to be angry? It's an important question. How does this help us to understand why Jonah is in Scripture? I think because it helps us to understand God's heart. Our hearts are deceitful. His is compassionate. Our hearts lead us and others astray. His is always true. Even when our hearts encounter true injustice and good reasons to be angry, they drive us to destruction. Jonah is rightly angry about the injustice of Assyria. We know that his hatred of those people is justified because God himself goes to Jonah and he says, the complaints about the evil of the Ninevites have arisen to me. I want you to go and tell them they're going to be destroyed. So we know that it's, it's justified, right? But instead of finding hope and glory in the Lord's everlasting love, Jonah says, I wish you would kill them, right? Instead of pleading like Abraham did for Sodom and Gomorrah, Lord, if there's just one more, if there's just two more righteous people, will you save that place? Right? Jonah runs the other way so they won't even hear the message. So the heart of God desires that all would be saved. The heart of man desires only that itself profit, that itself be loved, that itself be uh, saved. So as we look at this last chapter of Jonah, I want you to examine why Jonah is angry with me and why we're angry. Um, I want you to think about why God asked this question. Spoiler alert, the answer is no, Jonah does not do well to be angry. Neither do we. But we need to understand why that is. So we're going to consider the alternative, right? The alternative is to be compassionate. And God encourages us to do that. So we need to know what compassion looks like in the face of anger. We need to examine what it means to choose compassion instead of anger. And finally, we need to talk about how God loves and is also just. So compassion must include justice. Our anger does not achieve God's righteousness and justice, but his compassion and his wrath do bring about ultimate justice. So we need to have that as our foundation for hope. We need the reassurance of that justice if we're going to choose compassion when we want to be angry instead. Let's pray. God, I thank you and I praise you because you have chosen a whiny jerk just like us uh, to teach us about ourself and about yourself. I pray, Lord, that you would speak through me tonight. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you would help everyone here to listen and hear what your heart is and know it better after this evening. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, I'm going to go back and uh, read from 310 through the end of uh, 4 here because I want you to have the full context for the anger. All right, so Jonah 310 says this, 
when God saw what they did, this is the Ninevites, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it, not destruction, right? God's uh, waiting, God's holding back. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city, sat to the east of the city, and made a booth for himself there, and sat under its shade until he could see what would become of the city. And now the Lord God appointed a plant, made it come up over Jonah that it might make a shade for his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and he said, it is better for me to die than to live. And God said again to Jonah, do you do well to be angry, this time for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow. It came into being in a night, and it perished in a night. Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? We don't do well to be angry. Jonah doesn't do well to be angry, but he is. God asks this question twice. Do you do well to be angry? He asks in verse 4 and verse 9. And though Jonah only answers with words once, we know that the answer is, yes, God, I do well to be angry. And he goes further and he says, kill me, God, I am so angry. Just kill me. That's very angry. I doubt most of you have been that angry this week where you said to God, please kill me. I am so angry, just kill me. Anybody? Anyone want to confess? Anybody put together anything from Ikea? I think, uh, I think every newlywed couple should be tasked with putting, to, actually, premarital counseling. Let's do this. Premarital counseling, Ikea furniture. If you can't do that, you're not allowed to get married. Jonah is so angry, he says, I want to die. Most of us are not that angry. Jonah says he's that angry. This probably sounds to you like a child throwing a tantrum. This sounds like my children throwing a tantrum, right? I am so angry, just kill me now. Probably it sounds like that. Possibly, and we'll come back to this, Jonah just doesn't understand the role of compassion and God's justice. But regardless of what's going on here, Jonah believes he's completely in the right. The fact that God even asked the question should clue him into the fact that he's wrong, right? If God has to ask you, do you do well to be angry, you should know immediately that the answer is no. But Jonah doesn't have a clue. Jonah's anger is due in part to the idols that he's made. And if you've been here uh, this, this last week or if you were in North Liberty, uh, you know that part of that was this idol that he had made of Israel, right? A national idol. He had elevated his own ideas about how God should act with respect to Israel and Nineveh and Assyria, and those ideas were opposed to God's ideas. That's part of why Jonah is angry. There's more. Jonah knows that God will be slow to anger. He says that to God, right? And Jonah wants God's full wrath to fall on the Assyrians. So Jonah's angry because God doesn't give what Jonah wants. He's also angry because God doesn't take what Jonah thinks God should take. He's angry about the full spectrum, if you will. 
Uh, these ideas have become idols for Jonah. Jason Brooks have talked about uh, a similar idol for us, for Americans especially, uh, not just Americans, I'm sorry, anybody, uh, the idea of nationalism, right? And not just loving your nation, not being a patriot, but elevating your nation, your, your tribe, your people, your country, whatever it is, to make it into an idol. That's a problem. But it's not the only problem, right? You can make idols of other things. I want to give you an example from my own youth. When I was young, uh, my parents made bad money decisions. This was a common thread for them. It wasn't necessarily um, that they never made right decisions. They just routinely made bad decisions. And it wasn't that we didn't have opportunity or advantage. Both my parents had college degrees. My father's worked in leadership roles and in management roles most of his life. So it wasn't that they didn't have access to resources, but they made bad choices with those resources. And eventually, they had to sell their home because they couldn't make the payments on the home. And I was often wearing clothes that were secondhand, and you could tell. And I was angry about that. I made a certain standard of living into an idol, and I didn't have that thing. I worshipped it, but I didn't have it, and I was angry at my parents. And it broke my relationship with them in many regards, right? I had a bad relationship with them because of that. That was a nationalism. It doesn't have to be that big. It can just be, I don't like the way you spend your money. That was me. Anger is bigger than just idolatry, though, right? There are lots of ways that we can be angry that have nothing to do with a specific idol. Sometimes we're just impatient. How many of you know what, uh, how many of you know who Barry Maguire is? Steve, Barry Maguire? We've got one back there. Thank you, Bart. Barry Maguire, Eve of Destruction, anybody? Anybody? No? Bart, you, we'll talk later. It'll be great. Barry Maguire has a second act where he becomes a Christian and he writes children's music. Okay? In the late 70s, early 80s, he released this song or this album called Bullfrogs and Butterflies about, you know, how Christians, they go through this transformational process like a frog or a butterfly, right? There's this metamorphosis that takes place. There's a song on this album called Be Patient, right? It's about a snail who's not patient. He wants to go fast, and he's, he's impatient, right? And so the song is, have patience, have patience, don't be in such a hurry. And my mom used to sing this to me when I was impatient. Man, nothing makes you angry like somebody telling you to be patient, right? That's all it took for me. It didn't even have to be the things that are the bigger things, right? The idols that I've made. Just sometimes somebody telling you to have patience can make you angry. What about this? How many of you... Uh, how many of you are compartmentalizers? Anybody have a, have a compartmentalized brain? Yeah? How many of you are, are spaghetti-brained? It all goes together, and you don't know where it starts and stops, right? If you're compartmentalized, you might think, what is the problem here, right? I've got my anger box, and if I get angry, I'll just put it in that box, and we'll deal with it never. But those of you whose minds work more like this, you know what I'm talking about, because you don't even know why things make you angry sometimes, right? Sometimes you're making coffee in the morning and you spill that coffee in the morning and then three hours later somebody looks at you funny and then you're mad. And it's connected, but you don't know how. Right? We're angry for all kinds of reasons. It could be that you lack sleep. It could be that you forgot to eat. My wife will frequently tell me I forgot to eat a meal. I don't know how that works. I've never forgotten to eat a meal once. Never. Right? But that can make you angry. It could be that you aren't communicating. It could be that you're not thinking, right, about what the person has said before you respond. doesn't matter. Even when the person you're angry with has an equal share in the bad attitude or the poor response, 
you don't do well to be angry. It doesn't matter the reason. So God asks this about Jonah twice. He asks about his anger. The circumstances are a little different in verse 4. Very high stakes. Nineveh is not destroyed and Jonah is angry about it. In verse 9, the stakes are a little bit smaller. Jonah's life is at stake maybe, right? He's in a bad situation, hot, um, possibly on the brink of death because he's in the desert and this hot scorching wind is coming. But it's one life, 120,000 lives. Doesn't matter. Jonah's angry about it all. He's not doing well. But this leads to the question, there are right reasons to be angry, aren't there? There are right reasons to be angry. When a child gets a fatal disease, we're right to be angry. And when someone who has a lot takes from someone who has nothing, we're right to be angry. When Jesus walked into the temple and he saw people exchanging money, right, and making a profit off of the house of the Lord and using it for its, uh, a purpose that it was not intended for, turning it into a place of idols, he was full of anger. Zeal for the Father's house consumed him. His righteous anger is on full display. In those cases, the reaction of anger is right. That's a right reaction. But even in those cases, the right reaction is not a complete response, and it can still lead to sin. It can still lead to idolatry. Our idea of right or good can then become a standard of justice that we hold to. It can lead to our vanity, our pride, our jealousy, all kinds of other things. So the reason for this is simple. Our anger does not achieve God's righteousness. The reason it's all a problem, the reason that Jonah doesn't do well to be angry, the reason that we don't ever do well to be angry is because the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Even when our anger is right, the anger doesn't produce righteousness. It could be the best response in a moment, but it will never ransom or redeem or restore. Your anger will never ransom anyone or redeem anyone or restore anyone, and Jesus is in the business of all three of those things. So Jesus did not, just to be clear, drive the money changers from the temple, hang up the whip, and say, it is finished. Mic drop, see you later, let's go have some bread and wine. That was not his response. So his anger, our anger, it might be justifiable. In that case, his anger was absolutely justifiable. But it never justifies, right? It's God's plan, it's his design that his kindness be the thing that leads us to repentance, and then that the sacrifice of his son be what atones for, takes away our sins, saves us. That's his plan. It's compassion. So let's examine this a minute because this is, this is problematic for us, right? Is it really true of righteous anger that we can't use it, that we can't marshal it in the way that we want to, right? Jesus lays down his life to save our souls, but Jesus is God. We're not God. There's got to be a place for righteous anger. Think about wealth um, inequality, extreme wealth inequality, right? Somebody who has not just a home, but six homes, and they drive somebody who has no home from the small space they've been living, right? Think about human trafficking. Think about um, drug sellers and abusers, right? That's, that's serious injustice. We're angry about that. Can we really compassion our way out of those problems, don't we need guns? Don't we need fierce anger? Don't we need Chuck Norris? Right? We, we don't. We can compassion our way out of those problems. We need justice. We need justice. So we need to hold lawbreakers accountable. Yes. We need consequences for sin. God is ready to destroy Nineveh. 
right? At the beginning of the whole Jonah story, he says, Nineveh needs to be destroyed. Go tell them they're about to be destroyed. Why? Because they deserve destruction. But there's a difference here. If somehow we are able, one, every one of us, we're able to band together tonight, we're going to have a short planning meeting after the service, and then we're going to go out and we're going to kill every other uh, human that traffics humans in the world. We're just going to destroy them all by murder tonight, right? What we would have accomplished is the end of human trafficking, but also we would all be murderers ourselves. And we would have subverted most justice systems in the world. We would have broken down that order. But by trusting in the Lord, right, by viewing people who traffic other people through his eyes, we can hold them accountable. We can still bring them to justice, but also we can bring them to Jesus. We can have a part in saving their souls. So by trusting in him, we would have the opportunity not only to bring them to Jesus, but to uphold global systems that God has put in place to manage justice, keep ourselves from the sins of hate and murder. Better yet, we would not have taken a job that God reserves for himself, which is the pouring out of wrath and vengeance. In Deuteronomy 32.35, you don't need to turn there, I'm just going to reference it. Deuteronomy 32.35, it says, vengeance and wrath are God's responsibilities. And in Romans 12, 17 through 19, it says the same thing. It says, never avenge yourselves. Anger can be a right reaction in the face of injustice, but the full response has to be compassion with God meeting out justice. Our compassion, his compassion, he handles the wrath. So we don't ever do well to be angry. We do very well to be compassionate. Let's look back at Jonah, uh, verses 10 and 11 here right at the end. The Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He's compassionate. Yes, the Ninevites deserve destruction. Yes, God wants to be compassionate toward them. Both are true. He provides for his people again and again. When they're humble and also when they're not humble, he chases us. He runs after us. In this story alone, we see God pursue Jonah, right, by sending a storm, by sending a fish, by providing a plant. We see God providing uh, mercy for the Ninevites. All of these things show us that God is full of compassion, that he is one who is full of steadfast love. But here's a funny thing about steadfast love. If you will, turn to Psalm 136. Psalm 136. When we read and think steadfast love, we think, man, that sounds nice and happy. Steadfast love, that's great. We think things like Psalm 136, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, to him who by understanding made the heavens, to him who spread out the earth above the waters, to him who made the great lights, the sun to rule over the day, the moon and stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. Verses 1 through 9, that's what we think about when we think about God's steadfast love. Verse 10, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, his steadfast love endures forever. What about verse 15? He overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. 
Verse 17, he struck down great kings. God's steadfast love also includes justice that he alone gets to meet out, that he alone is responsible for. That's not our role. We get to participate in the compassion. He reserves the wrath for himself. He knows we can't handle it, so he doesn't ask us to. In fact, he tells us not to. He keeps it for himself. What does this look like? It looks like Genesis, story of Joseph. Ten older brothers are angry with their younger brother, He gets all of the attention. They don't like him. He has dreams. Those dreams place him above them. They really don't like him. So they sell him into slavery and they tell their father that he's dead. Joseph, later in the story, has the power and you could argue the reason to strike out against his brothers in anger and he doesn't. Instead, right, he lets God handle the wrath and he gives them compassion. Have your siblings, your close friends, your family members, your loved ones, have any of you had the experience of being sold into slavery? Have any of you had your parents uh, get a garment of yours soaked in the blood of an animal and your sibling said, yep, this is our sibling? But have any of you been angry at your siblings? Have any of you wanted to sell them into slavery? King Saul sought to kill David many times. David loves Saul. David serves Saul. David recognizes Saul as the Lord's anointed. David has every reason, right, to act in just anger when Saul has tried to kill him multiple times and Saul is there in front of David and vulnerable, prone. And David doesn't kill him. David saves the wrath for God and instead he shows compassion. Most of us, have not uh, been under threat of death from our father-in-law. Mine is here. I can tell you he's never tried to kill me. We don't experience that. David did. He could have been, maybe should have been angry. Other people around him were angry, right? They said, David, take this opportunity to kill Saul. This is a good chance. He won't even know that you did it. He says no. That's the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? Doesn't Jesus say in John 13, a new commandment I give to you, be angry with those who deserve it? Doesn't he say, um, burn with rage at stupid people? I think, correct me if I'm wrong, you can check John 13, 35. uh, I think it says, a new commandment I give to you, love one another. He says that his followers will be known by their love for one another. The gospel is attractive to people. The good news is good news when it looks different than the world's news, right? When we can demonstrate God's love, when we have a reason to be angry and we are not, that's when we attract people to Christ. Unfortunately, compassion instead of punishment is not always satisfying to us, and so we don't choose it. The psalmist cries out in Psalm 4.1, he says, How long? Oh, men of this world, will you love wickedness? And the men of this world do love wickedness. We love wickedness. We make idols for ourselves all the time. The modern-day Ninevites, right, and there are many of them, deserve to burn, and we want to see them burn. So we might also say with the psalmist uh, in, in Psalm 13, 1 and 2, How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? 
How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle in my soul with sorrow in my heart each day? And how long will my enemy dominate me? We can look at God's compassion like Jonah did and feel that the compassion is the wrong response. In our oppression and the oppression of those around us, we can think, I wish you would kill them or kill me, Lord. I'm angry enough to die. And when our anger burns that way, we have to remember that we're not seeing the whole picture. Right? Our ways are not our way. Our ways are not his ways. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. God's mind, God's understanding is much greater than ours. We can't remember each other's names. We can't remember where we left the remote or the phone or a wallet. <laughs> we can't remember very basic things, and yet we want to judge people, right? Eternally. We want to say to this person or that person or that person over there, that person should burn in hell. I don't remember what their name is, but they're definitely deserving of damnation. We get angry with God and say, you shouldn't be compassionate, Lord. I hope you're not compassionate, Lord. So finally in Jonah, when Nineveh is saved and the plant is destroyed, Jonah does that. He gets mad at God, asks that he be killed because he has judged that his own understanding of justice is better than God's compassion. His own anger is better than God's righteousness. He should have known better, right? God is not silent. God was not silent to Jonah. The Old Testament was very clear. Moses' law was very clear. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Jonah should have been doing that. Uh, love your neighbor as yourself, as yourself. He should have been doing that. Don't hate, right? Don't desire that your, your neighbor die. He should have been doing those things. He knew that. We know that. We also have the witness of James. Uh, if you want to turn here, I'm going to spend a little time in James chapter 1. Go there for a second. We have God telling us not just what he has said in the Old Testament, but also the complete revelation. James chapter 1 verse 19 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Psalm 4, 4 through 5 is like this. I'm going to come back to James in a second. But it says, be angry and do not sin. On your bed, search your heart and be still. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. The Lord knows we'll be angry and that we need to be compassionate. He knows that our indignation toward unrighteousness won't save souls. But if our heart is right before him, that he can use us to bring many to himself. So this is the opportunity that Jonah has when God sends him to Nineveh. He gets to be a part of the salvation of many, potentially, an agent of salvation. He desires wrath and rage instead. I'll go back to James 1 now, verses 21 through 24. It says this, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself, goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. Jonah has heard that the Lord is compassionate, but he doesn't take that into his heart. He doesn't do it, right? He doesn't do the compassion that the Lord commands him to do. He hears the word. He's still angry. He doesn't do well. James goes on, verses 25 through 27. But the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't, doesn't bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. 
Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. God sends Jonah to a bunch of orphans, a bunch of widows, in essence, in Nineveh. They have no parents to tell them which way to go. God says, tell them they're about to die. Jonah says, I wish you would just kill them. And if you're not going to kill them, just kill me. God calls us to lead with compassion and to trust him to handle the judgment. Jonah chose to try to take the judgment for himself. There is wrath to come. Compassion without a call to repent is not compassion. With some of us, this is the temptation. We want to compassion and compassion and compassion and forget about the fact that there's wrath to come and that there's judgment. That's not compassion. If you don't tell people about sin and about the consequences of sin, you have not been compassionate. You've lied. It's true that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son and that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life, everlasting life. This is true. This is the compassionate heart of God. There is no greater love than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. And if you want to do something about all the righteousness in the world, you will lay down your life for your friends and for your enemies. This is true. You will also tell them about God's wrath. All who believe on the Lord Jesus will be saved. That's a free gift. That's grace. But the Bible also says that all who don't believe are condemned and they will die. And they will suffer God's wrath and God will punish the evildoers who do not repent. He will break down every power opposed to him. So when God calls Jonah to preach the Ninevites about their impending doom, we must know Jonah didn't want to deliver that message because he thought God was compassionate and Jonah was right but he was forgetting that God is also just. Assyria, it's no more, right? God did wipe out the evildoers. He did send Jonah, and some were saved. But by being a messenger of wrath, who witnessed the Lord's compassion, Jonah and we get to see that the Lord is not just the wrath, but he is also the salvation. This is what Jonah wants from God. All wrath, no compassion. Sometimes what we want from God is all compassion and no wrath. God says, I do both of them perfectly. You can't do the wrath, just do the compassion and tell people that I'm just. So there is a great and sure hope in that Christ died to save sinners, that Christ will return to judge the living and the dead, and that our anger will not achieve God's righteousness. That's a great hope It means we can let go of it. We can stop being angry. It is possible to do. God is asking us to do it. We do not do well to be angry. We will do well to be compassionate, though, just as he is. So Jonah points to Jesus. We've talked about this a little bit. I've hinted at it. Uh, Brooks and Jason, I think, are going to talk about it even more uh, in a couple weeks. But we need to end with this point because Jesus, more than anyone, has a right to be angry right? Jesus is there at the foundation of the world. Jesus gives his life. And when Jesus is hanging on the cross and he's being killed by those he came to save, he does not say, God, kill them. He says, God, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. That is our example. He is our example. We have no right to destroy the world in our anger, not even our own little piece of the world. 
Jesus had the right to destroy it. And in fact, Jesus will remake the world. He will destroy this world, right? Heaven and earth will be remade anew. He will do that, but he is giving us the opportunity to participate in the salvation of many before that. I encourage you to choose that option. As sinners, we can be saved and we can extend his compassion and participate in the salvation of so many others. We don't do well to be angry. We do well to be compassionate. Lay your anger at the feet of Jesus. Love as he loves. Live as he lived. Rely on the Holy Spirit for the power that he has promised. Let's pray. God, I praise you and thank you for being a God of compassion. And I praise you and thank you for being a God who brings to justice those who deserve justice. Lord, we deserve justice. And we have been awful, terrible sinners who you have given grace to, Lord, a free gift that we might have life with you. And we praise you and thank you for that. Thank you for doing what we could not do. Help us to extend your gift of free grace. Help us to be compassionate as you were and leave the wrath to you. And Lord, help us to let go of our anger. It is not achieving your righteousness. Help us to trust you when we can't let go. Lead and live in your power instead of our own. I ask this in your name. Amen.